0: Hey Radiant, can you believe this is our 10th week of online service, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Later this week, I'm going to make an announcement to discuss our uh, reopening plans for the church. And so please stay tuned for that. You know, it's this whole idea of reopening, this whole prospect of reopening that led us into this series that we're in, Ecclesia. Now, Ecclesia is the Greek word for church, it's the word that we translate church. And very often in the New Testament, it was used of the church gathered, the local congregation. And this series is about preparing us to once again be the church gathered, to be the ecclesia. After months of online services, after months of being separated, we once again get to join together in the near future as the ecclesia. Now, most people I've talked to are incredibly excited about the day we can gather together again. But when I started this series, I said, despite all that excitement, I had a fear that our time apart had made us maybe romanticize church, maybe forget a couple things about when we are gathered together, it's not always easy that, yeah, there there's an ugly side to church. And we've looked at that over the last few weeks. As a pastor, I should probably be using this time to feed the fire of desire to gather together. But it probably feels like I'm doing the complete opposite, talking about the ugly side, the difficult side. And I, I don't know what that says about me as a pastor. And I don't know what that would say about you as the people who called me to be your pastor, but my goal and my plan in all of this is to help us prepare for when we will gather together again. It's to come in with our eyes wide open. It's so that we will love the church, both its beautiful and its ugly side. Now, if you remember back in week one of this series, the big idea that was presented is the big idea that's been uh, the guiding principle for this whole series, it was that the ugly side of church is an opportunity for your growth and God's glory. And last week, we talked about how it was an opportunity for your growth. Today, we're going to talk about how it's an opportunity for God's glory. How does the ugly side bring glory to God? I mean, usually we see the ugly side of church and we are exasperated or discouraged, disillusioned. But if we can see the ugly side as an opportunity, then we could respond correctly and God is glorified. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4? You may remember that we started this series in Ephesians chapter two and three, so I don't need to spend a lot of time with the background of Ephesians. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, a church he knew really well. He wanted them to know what it was like to live in light of what Christ has done on the cross and all the implications of that. And while we were looking at that first week in Ephesians chapter two and three, we looked at chapter three, verse 10. And that's the verse that really bounced out at us as, man, God is using this for his glory. Let me read it to you. God's purpose in all of this, was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You see, God's purpose is to declare to all people and to the heavenly hosts that he is reconciling us to him and he's reconciling us to one another. See, through the church, the wisdom of God is displayed. God is glorified through the church. Both the beautiful side, and as we're going to see, The ugly side as well. So if you have your Bibles, read with me Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 1 through verse 6. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So Paul starts out in verse one of chapter four with the, the word therefore. And every time you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's that therefore? And what it's therefore is a transition in the book of, of Ephesians. For the first three chapters, Paul has been very doctrinal, talking about what Christ has accomplished and the implications of the cross. And now he's gonna talk about practical application because Christ has done this, therefore we ought to live this way. So there's a big shift that takes place right where we're at, at the very beginning of verse one, chapter four. Now you notice that Paul calls himself a prisoner for serving the Lord. Now, when you first read this, it kind of sounds like he's just giving a reason why he's a prisoner. Like, I'm a prisoner, for serving the Lord. But really, the original language, and maybe your Bible translates it differently, your Bible probably says something like a prisoner for the Lord or a prisoner of the Lord. You see this nuance in the the original language where it says more like Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. See, his prison cell may have limited his physical uh, movement, but it did not really control his life. Paul's life was controlled by the fact that he was in Christ. Now, he's not bragging about his status as a prisoner for the Lord. He's actually modeling what he wants the Ephesians to do. He's modeling what he says next, to leave a life worthy of their calling. In other words, Paul's saying, live like the people that God says you are. Be prisoners of Christ. Then in verse 2, Paul lays out the qualities of a prisoner of Christ. He says to be humble. Now, C.S. Lewis defines humility not as thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul identifies Christ's humility as one of the attitudes of Christ that believers ought to have. He says this, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. See, humility brings into focus meeting the needs of others rather than meeting our own needs. The next thing he says is to be gentle, gentleness or meekness. Uh, Oftentimes we think of it as weakness, but it's not weakness. It's really power that's under control. Moses is described in the Bible as being the meekest man on earth, but yet he was a powerful leader who went up against a very powerful Pharaoh. A father is gentle and meek when he holds a newborn baby, not because he's weak, but because he is strong. So it's the restrained strength of a father that holds a child gently. So humility, gentleness, and then he says to be patient. Patience is believing that God's timetable is good, no matter what that timetable may be. It's a characteristic of, of mature people. Abraham waited patiently to receive what God had promised. Noah worked patiently, building the ark faithfully for a hundred years before he ever saw a drop of rain. Moses waited for 40 years before the burden he had for his people became God's call on his life. Patience is waiting for God to act when, where, and how God chooses. And then we see this, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Your, your Bible may, something, may say something like, bearing with one another in love. There's another word for this, it's called forbearance, which is a willingness to put up with someone or something in a spirit of love. Hear me, putting up with someone or something in a spirit of love. Now, it's not hard to see how this list of things that Paul just laid out would lead to unity in the church. And unity is what Paul turns his attention to next as we go to verse three. In verse three, he says that, They are to keep and preserve unity amongst themselves. Now, notice he didn't say create unity amongst yourselves. Why is that? Because they are already united in Christ. We saw that back in chapter two. They're united in the spirit. So why does Paul say keep and preserve? What does that mean? It means to make peace with one another a major priority instead of acting selfishly for personal gain. See, the church displays their spiritual unity through their relational unity. The relational unity comes when we live life with one another with humility, gentleness, patience, and make, allowing, make allowance for each other's faults, being gracious with one another. Then verses four through six, we see the spiritual realities that unite them. Paul wants them to know that they are diverse. You may recall that we had Jews and Gentiles, natural-born enemies, diverse religious, racial uh, backgrounds, brought together because of Christ. And he wants, to know, here's, he wants the, them to know, here's what really unites you. Here are the spiritual realities that reunite you. Spiritual realities that transcend your differences. There is one body. Your differences do not separate you in Christ. You belong to one body. There's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. I, I look at this passage and it just reminds me of that the definition for church that i've quoted a couple times in this series from d.a carson that a, the church is a band of natural born enemies who love each other for christ's sake and when natural born enemies love each other for christ's sake it brings glory to god and the world notices because it's unexpected it's countercultural, it's unnatural you know what it's supernatural you see the ugly side of church is opportunity for god's glory because it's an opportunity for god to bring about supernatural community let me say that again, that the ugly side of church is an opportunity for God's glory because it's an opportunity for God to bring about supernatural community. You see, supernatural community happens when there is love and unity that only God can bring. It's not based on affinity or chemistry or any other factors that bring people together. It's something that only God can do. It's a supernatural act. And what's that supernatural act? It's, it's the church that loves one another. It's people who should not love one another who are united And who love one another. The ugly side we talked about last week was an opportunity for your growth because it's an opportunity for you to love. Well, it's not disconnected from bringing God glory. It's not the ugly side of church is an opportunity for your growth or God's glory. It's both. See, your growth becomes an opportunity for love. And as you walk in love, humility, gentleness, patience, grace, when you walk in love, that can only be credited to what God has done, then God is glorified. When we love, it's supernatural message to the world, which goes along with what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 13, when he told them that it's their love for one another that will prove to the world that they are his disciples. Why does it prove? Because it's not centered on each other, it's, it's centered on him, it's centered on Christ. Once again, it's not their affinity for one another. It's not their chemistry. In fact, we saw the disciples argue and try to one-up each other, don't we? This kind of love is supernatural. We love because of Christ. We love because we are in Christ and we love because Christ is in us. Supernatural community is proof to the world and it brings God glory. The ugly side of church is opportunity for God's glory because it's an opportunity for God to bring about supernatural community. So what do we do? Okay, we've recognized the opportunity. How do we take advantage of that opportunity to bring glory to God at the same time to grow in our faith, to grow in love, and to send a message to the world? Well, here we go. First of all, I would say walk in love. Isn't that what Paul is saying in this passage without those words? Humility, gentleness, patience, grace, walk in love. Specifically, if you'll allow me to make a really specific application to the time that we're living in, not just the coronavirus, but this season of reopening, both national, local, churches, schools. See, you know that there are some very strongly held opinions about when and how we are to reopen. People of similar backgrounds, similar convictions can have very opposite ideas of the right thing to do. Let me be clear, I'm not against having opinions. You should have an opinion, have your opinion. It's about how you let your opinion influence your behavior. It's how you live your life and hold your opinion. Let me use the, the, re- the reopening of our church as an example. As I mentioned later this week, I'll, I'll make an announcement with some description of, of what our plans for reopening will be. But when I make that announcement, there are those in this congregation who are gonna feel it's too fast and it's too much. And there are others who are gonna feel like it's too little and it's too slow. There will be people in our church, your friends, those God has called us together to live life and love one another, who absolutely disagree with your opinion. And there'll be people that you absolutely disagree with their opinion. So what does it look like to walk in love during this season? What does it mean to, to walk in love over these next few weeks? It looks like this. It looks like smiling while you endure the inconveniences that you think are absolutely silly to have to in- endure but yet you smile and you endure. It looks like this, it looks like holding your tongue when others are complaining about your stance. In fact, I would would submit it's holding your tongue when people who support your stance are complaining about the other side. It's reminding yourself that our differences are not doctrinal, they're not moral, but they're matters of opinion, opinion of how do we best do this thing that nobody has ever done before. Again, I'm saying, have an opinion. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. Hold your opinion firmly, but then walk in love. You see, walking in love is totally countercultural. Watch the news or surf social media, you don't see much humility, gentleness, patience, or grace from politicians, celebrities, your Facebook friends, Twitter personalities. Walk in love, and the world will know that we are his disciples. Second thing would be this, remember that you are responsible to others, but not for others. Now this idea comes from a much larger topic of boundaries and we don't have time to to unpack that in this message, but allow me to simply reference that and say that you are only responsible for you. You are responsible to others, but not for others. You're responsible to love the things that Paul said here, humility, gentleness, patience, graciousness, You are responsible to love, but it doesn't matter what they do, what others may do. They they may be unworthy of your patience. (laughs) They may be unable to recognize your humility or unappreciative of your restraint. Walk in love anyway. Third, let God build his church. Let God build his church his way. It really is God who builds his church. But sometimes in our zeal, we get ahead of God. Perhaps we feel like he isn't moving fast enough, thinking big enough, or reaching broad enough. The church in America has a bias towards bigger, faster, and famous. So we want to help God to build the church for him the way we think it should be. See, we take on the task of winning people, connecting people, uniting people. But the problem is it's possible to win people, connect people, and unite people with something other than the gospel message of Jesus. Churches can win people based on excellence of programming and and welcoming atmosphere. They can connect people through groups and gatherings. They can can, um, unite people through noble causes. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for ministry excellence and welcoming atmospheres and groups and gatherings and noble causes, but we don't build the church on those things. Christ builds this church on the message of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we find ourselves doing those things in community together, supernatural community together. It's Jesus who brings supernatural community. Now, if you're not a Christian today, I wanna to thank you for, for joining us here. Um, you, you might have joined us because you'd be in that camp that says, you know, I like Jesus, that's why I'm here, but I'm not sure I like the church. I get it, I understand. Uh, but I wanna I want take this moment to remind you that the church is Jesus' idea. If you like Jesus, just know that this is his idea. And I know that there are messes in church, and I'll be the first to tell you that those of us who are Christians, man, we were messes when Jesus found us. And we continue to make messes, and we continue sometimes to be a mess. I I think that's a beautiful thing because the church is the gospel made visible, which only makes sense when you understand that the gospel message has to have mess. That the gospel message is, is not worthy people Who act in worthy ways of God's love, but unworthy people who are rescued because of God's love. We are unworthy, separated from God in our sin. So God sends his son Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to live in our place and to to die in our place as a substitute for us, that we can be made right with God. And all we need to do is trust and believe and call on him. All we need to do is cross that line of faith. Today, if you would say, Jerome, I'm, I crossed that line of faith. Or if you, after this message, you, you're pondering and thinking, you'd say, yeah, I, I believe. I'd ask you to reach out to us so we can celebrate with you and, and help come alongside you in this newfound faith. Now, I wanna close this message with a passage of scripture. I'm actually gonna go the opposite direction, uh, back to chapter three, the very end of chapter three, the very closing of the, the doctrinal section of Ephesians, the thing that serves as the foundation for the therefore that we read in verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul closes it out with a prayer. Listen to this. When I think of all of this, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from this glorious unlimited riches he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will, be made, will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete